Hi, we had a little trouble with our audio on Sunday, so this is kind of a recap of the sermon, so it won't quite be as long, but we're going to be going through that. So as you know, we've been covering the 500 years of grace as we're talking about things that have come from the Reformation and the Protestant Reformation. One of those things is, of course, grace. We're saved by grace alone, and that's probably the biggest thing. In first centuries, it's not that the gospel will completely disappear, but it's been hidden by many people. There's other things that come from the Reformation, the importance of scripture, uh, music and worship, and the fact that at the same time, uh, we're kind of bad and good. We're sinner and saint, as we talked about just a couple weeks ago. Today, we're looking at uh, vocation and where, where does that idea come from and what are some of the ideas that go with it. So when you talk about the biggest impacts of the Reformation, I think one is questioning who, who are you and what gives you value why are you here and what's your purpose and i saw a quote i read a paper on this this is by pastor john schrader he said we are not beasts content to eat and sleep oblivious to our connection to the world we are thinking humans who long for relevancy and we want our life to matter why we want our life to matter because when we have a purpose we have a purpose to all the activities that means they contribute to the life goal that you're trying to do you have you have that if you've ever been part of a job or a team where it felt like you were a waste of time. If you've ever felt part of a team where you're wondering, what are we doing here? You're at work and you're saying, like, what's the purpose of this? Or you go to a meeting, as I have to have on Tuesday, there's a rules meeting for softball. I have no interest whatsoever because I know it's not really a discussion. I think it's a pointless meeting, so it's not very enjoyable. So, But once you have a clear goal and you've experienced this, it's okay to work through some of the unpleasant things. Maybe you have a clear goal to say you want to save money and you want to be debt-free. Well, that helps you trudge through kind of some of the difficult times. Or you have this goal, you want to be in better shape. You keep thinking of the whys, the whys, the whys as you go through the parts that are more difficult, which would be wanting chocolate cake at like 10 p.m. at night. These are the unpleasant things and the goal helps you get past that. So... There's some goals that are more important than other goals. As you talk about, it can be awkward and cumbersome to read the Bible to your kids, but you're saying, hey, we got a bigger picture in mind. Now, why do we put on dust masks and tear down drywall on a beautiful Saturday morning? The purpose, the goal is, is if you persevere, the thing on the other side is going to be a lot better than the thing on this side. So why do you do what you do? Who are you and why do you do what you do? Again, we're not beasts content to eat and sleep, oblivious to our connection to the world. We're thinking human beings who long for relevancy. <clears throat> we want a life that matters, and it's not like our dog. If you've ever had a dog, you don't give counseling to your dog. My dog doesn't get depressed. My dog wakes up, and his purpose is to eat and to sleep and wag his tail. I mean, that's about the extent of his life purpose, and he's never come to me depressed saying, you know, I feel like I don't know my purpose in life. And I think as humans, as we try and find our purpose, that's where God's call matters. So often in scripture, we get this idea of call. And in the Old Testament, it's kara. And in the New Testament, it's kaleo. And we have this call that comes again and again. And I think it's a beautiful thing because it's not the call of some mediocre. It's not the call of a boss trying to convince us to do things that we don't think are worth it. Instead, it is the call 
of God, God who put light in the world, God who gave light purpose when he said, you are now the day. It's the God who made this light that travels 186,000 miles per second. And God is the one who put it there. And God is the one who's all powerful. And God sees all these things. And he is the one who calls you. So we have a beautiful verse. When we look at Isaiah 41, and maybe it's a confirmation verse for you. But Isaiah 41 says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth. From the farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servants. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What did you see again and again? I have chosen you. I have called you. And I am the one again who says I have chosen you. It is God who is the one who calls us. But when most often when it talks about it in scripture, what does it mean to be called? We're not talking about a specific vocation. Most often in scripture, and I think this is the groundwork, God is using his instruments, his His word and uh, sacraments in baptism and Holy Communion to call us to something greater. As we just talked about light, remember there was darkness at the beginning of the world and God called light into being. What does God call us to be? You think of First Peter uh, 2 9, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you, and where did he call us from? Out of darkness into his wonderful light. And most often in scripture, when it's talking about a call, it's talking about that we have been called to God's family. First John 3, you, you see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called his children. So all, most often, it's talking about a specific relationship that in Christ we have forgiveness and we have acceptance, which is so very different when you think about Adam and Eve. Their primary purpose seemed that they wanted to be called God. It seemed that they wanted to be God. And they they do all these things to try and attach it. And they fall for the devil's schemes, but God steps in. How strange it is because they couldn't be God. God became them. God became a human being. So in that, God invites us to exchange this exchange between sinners and saints. Beggars on thrones. And the very thing we tried to get is won by Christ. This this idea of being a God, or I should say being holy, is won by Christ. Really, God's calling is a promise. Really, God's pro- calling is a, a relationship. God's calling is an adoption of son. And this sets the tone for every single thing that we do. Our value is not determined by what we can do. Our value is determined by a God who called us. In short, we have a vocatio dei, which is the Latin term that they use in calling. And this is where this term vocation comes from when we talk about that. We think of vocational schools. But it really comes from the Latin Vulgate for all these times when God talks about calling. And this call is from God. So it's vocatio dei, the call of God. But it's really strange, you know, there's endless possibilities how you get what you do. And usually when we think about vocation, and it's from the Reformation that so much of this changed. When we think of vocation, there's so many things we could have done. So how many of you do what your parents did? 
There's probably not a lot when you look at what your parents did. And part of that is just because the world advances. I mean, if your dad worked in a widget factory, there's just not as many jobs that function in that case. If you grew up in the Midwest, they call it, quote, the Rust Belt, because industry has changed. You can't continue necessarily to do the exact same thing your parents have done. And my own parents, I don't think they're going to, if they listen to this, they're not going to be angry because they didn't do what their parents did. My dad is uh, a teacher. So his, the furthest education, I should say, in our my grandparents' line would have been a sophomore in high school. That's as far as anyone went. And I think my grandpa, a very brilliant man, was a farmer and was a very successful farmer in South Dakota. My grandmother worked with him and raised the garden and had chickens. So my mother is not doing that same thing. She went to school, got her master's degree, and was a school counselor. My dad, and it's kind of a strange thing, how the world changes. My grandfather, I think he, he reminded me of this, which I'll bring up later, is the most he ever made, I think, was five fifty an hour or five twenty five an hour and retired and lived off that pension somehow, but he was able to make it. So then my dad went to school, went to college, went to graduate school, and he taught high school physics for 45 years. They didn't do what their parents did, and that's probably a reason why. I'm guessing if you think about what your parents did, part of you sees the good in it, but most of the time the bad part is highlighted. You see the things that you don't want to do. So some of you might be doing what your parents do because he's so in love with it. I think if I asked my son why he might want to be a pastor, he'd probably say the same thing you do. It's flexible hours and I only work once a week. Maybe that's what, so he sees kind of the positive ends of it, but there's also another end that he gets to see that is more challenging to it. Will my son be a pastor? I don't know. So how do you, sometimes you actually get jobs by mistake though. And I'm guessing some of you, I would almost guarantee moved out to Colorado, maybe for a relationship and maybe for some job and you get here and that job fell through or the relationship fell through and you decided to stay. And now here you are in Colorado (coughs) in this place living out your vocation. Sometimes you get it by, um, it's kind of strange circumstances. I'll give you a quick reference. I uh, wanted to drive boom truck, but not really. I wanted to get a job that paid good money. So the guidance counselor's secretary was one of my best friend's mom, and they had two job openings at the local lumberyard. And we heard about it. It, paid, it just rained money. It was $6 an hour. And so when we heard about it, we asked her, hey, take it down. And for some reason, only two people applied for this job, and we both got it. But the goal of that job was always to get out of the lumberyard. It was like a cartoon. You watch like Garfield. He only has like two purposes in life. One is, I think, to eat lasagna, and the other is to take naps. And somehow they can have a weekly cartoon that's supposedly funny. took me like four years to realize Garfield is not funny. But my life was like that. Our goal was to get out of the lumberyard. So I'd lean on them and I'd persevere and I'd bug them and say, hey, can I take the truck out? Can I do this? And finally they let me go. And I got into the truck and I got to drive. This is the first summer hire who got to do that. And then I convinced them I should get my CDL because it would be more valuable to the team. And so I took my online test, and finally they relented and let me get to my CDL. And then the next summer I came back. Now, if you grow up in Wisconsin and you learn to drive, if you learn to drive with no accidents, you are very good. Somehow, don't tell my kids this, but I think I had three accidents before I was 17. One, just sliding down at about a 2% grade. I put the brakes on, and the car just never stopped. It just kept, I wasn't even going fast. I can still picture it at night, just sliding, sliding, sliding into the intersection. 
Uh, one time I was driving on the road going like 45 and I went to a lane change and there was slush on the side and it's like a monster if you've never experienced this. It just sucked my car right off the road up onto the median and you're thinking there's nothing you can hit in Wisconsin. Well, that's not true because in the winter they put up stakes so they can plow the snow properly and I happened to hit one of those stakes and it scraped the whole car up and I'm just thinking God does not love me. What is the deal? So anyway, I should probably have never been driving commercially because you need a very good record. I did not have a good record uh, before I was 17. And I finally got to the next year, and, and Bill Rickert was the boss, and he's a great guy. I still send him Christmas cards. And he sat me down in his office, and he goes, well, you're doing a darn good job, so I'm going to give you a raise. But i got to ask you something. I said, what's that? As he's looking at my driving record, how the H did you get in a truck? And I'm like, does that mean I can't drive anymore? He's like, no, just don't get in any accidents. Where am I getting with this? That vocation, that summer job, that was a fluke thing where my friend, his mom was in the guidance counselor, and it had a series of events that got me in a lumber yard, and I hated being in the yard, so that got me into a truck. And then I wanted to make more money, so I wanted to learn how to ride the boom truck so I could deliver shingles and sheetrock. And so all of that progressed, not because I woke up one day and said, this is my calling in life, it's just there's certain circumstances that aligned, and that's what you end up doing. I'm guessing many of your jobs are aligned that way. You don't necessarily intend to do what you're doing, but that's how it aligns. Scripture would tell us, though, that in a way that even that job is a calling. And these jobs have purposes, and you're, that would align with what you're trying to do. My purpose was to make money and get out of the lumberyard. And that sculpted or shaped the way that my life went. If your main purpose is to make as much money as possible, you're going to do it. If your main purpose in your job is to have prestige with your family members, I'm sure there's certain jobs that your parents would look up to more than others. If, you're, if your whole life goal is to um, have fun, that's going to change or to go on vacations, it's going to change the job that you end up doing. If your whole goal is to do something you love, that's going to change a whole lot of factors. I guarantee that you can do those things. You can make money. You can um, have prestige. But there's other things that you have to give up. If your goal, though, is to raise good citizens and good kids, there's certain things you got to give up when it comes to your vocation, when it comes to your job. If your goal is to raise godly kids, and we even had a family that moved closer to the high school so that their kids could be regular in a Christian high school, Lutheran high school, there's choices you make in your life to fulfill those things. But what happens if your choice of job was directly connected to your relationship with God? What happens if you felt like your job was dependent and played a part in your closeness with God. And that's exactly really what happened in the Middle Ages. And if you would guess how many people are, uh, at that time, guess how many people were priests or nuns or monks. And I think I'm even talking monks and uh, nuns. So people that lived away from society and just tried to live out the most perfect godly life. The time of Martin Luther, when he put up the 95 Theses, the best estimates are 6 to 10% of people. Which is mind-blowing. That's I Just think about six to one out of ten people you know is a monk. Does anyone even know a monk anymore? And so after the, the Reformation, two-thirds of 
that group of people reduce. So we're down to like one third. So we're talking like, I should do my math a little easier. Uh, one, one to three percent of the population instead of six to ten. So why did this change? In their mind, their profession they chose directly related to their relationship with God. And there were certain professions and certain things you would do that would be more holy to God. So if you live by yourself and just served and was married to the church, this was a setup so that you can get the most out of your life. What Martin Luther did is he focused on the Bible's teaching of salvation by grace through faith alone. He found that in scripture alone, based on Christ alone, help reform this teaching of vocation. And for centuries, people thought, oh, I should be a priest or I should be a monk or I should be a nun. And what he would, and because I'll be closer to God. And what Martin Luther did, along with the other reformers, is emphasize how important it is that God sees all people in all jobs the same. And so now we start talking about this calling. Not only are we called to be God's children, but God has called us to live out our life as Christians. The way that Martin Luther tried to explain this, and it's kind of confusing, is masks. And I hate that term. You know, like I, I do not like Halloween, so I just I don't like the term mass personally. But what he was trying to say is, um, I think it's called Deus Abscondicus, which is God is hidden for most of the world. But how does the world see God? And for most of the people, the world sees God through you. And I think that adds a dignity to the things that you have chosen to do in your life. God says, but you, Israel, my servant, I have chosen you. I've called you from the further. You're my servant. Don't fear I'm with you. I'll strengthen you. God is saying, I have chosen you to do what you're doing. So it opens up a whole system. There's no classes. There's no thing that says this one's better. There's no job that you're saying this is, unless it's inherently sinful, is worse than another job. So you can stand before God and just be the best pastor or teacher or accountant, or pharmacist, or stay-at-home mom, or construction worker. You can work in sales. You can be a plumber, a salesman, or a saleswoman. You could work from home. You could have your home business. You can be a mom or a grandma. All of these things, God says, have a certain dignity to them. Because in all of these things, we can serve God. It's not like we get closer and closer to God by doing these other things. God is saying, you don't have to be a monk and live by yourself. You can be a mom and stay with your kids. And there's a dignity in that because you can serve God exactly where you are. And I think about some of the people, um, I think I have the greatest, I, I don't know if I can call him a garbage man, but uh, he's a man and he picks up my garbage. So a trash collector or recycle or a sanitation engineer, but he's the best one I've ever had in my whole life. And Partly because I feel important. If you give him a tip at Christmas time, he pulls your garbage can up to your garage door. That way I can judge other people who don't tip at Christmas time. I didn't know this until I, other neighbors told me about it. But he's happy and he smiles and he waves and he runs the garbage can up and he seems to enjoy his job. And, and I think 500 years ago you'd say, oh, he's just a lowly trash collector. And instead God is saying, "This you have a purpose and there's a value in that. And there's joy and dignity in serving I don't know if he's Christian, but there's a joy in saying, I'm serving God when I serve these garbage cans. And the world sees kind of a glimmer of God when they see me work. And so who better to show the world who God is than you as you try and be the best mom that you can be, the best dad you can be, 
the best employee or the best employer that you can be. And I think of a quote when we find something. There's obviously things that we cannot do. I'm never going to be in the NBA. I knew that early on, no matter how much the physical gifts aren't there. I knew I'm never going to be a skin model unless they're trying to show like some mole removal product. I knew I'm never going to be an astronaut. I just that I like math, but that's on a whole different level when you talk about how smart they are uh, combined with physical skills. Like I knew that that was not reality, but there are things that God said, Jared, this is what you can do. I want you to be a good dad, and I want you to be a good husband, and I want you to be a good pastor, and I want to give you these gifts. And I think of the story of Eric Liddell. It's a true story. And it was shown in the movie, and I've shared this before, in Chariots of Fire. So it's 1924, and he was deciding if he wanted to be a missionary. But the quote, at least in the movie, was uh, his sister wanted him to be a missionary. That's a little background. But he says, when I run, I believe that God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. And I think our goal when we talk about vocation and the thing that has completely changed is we're not picking things to try and impress our friends. We're not picking jobs to impress our spouse, really, even. We're not picking things to impress our parents. We're picking things and we're doing our best because we serve God. And when we serve God with the gifts that he's given us, we feel his pleasure. We have the calling of God, the vocatio dei. So what is that calling of God? The calling of God is knowing that we are his children and it does not matter in a sense what we do. Passively, he's given us his righteousness through Christ so we don't have to earn that. Now actively, he's given us a role in our life and he finds we find God's pleasure when we use the gifts he's given us to be the very best that we can be, mother or father or grandparent or student or son or daughter, aunt and uncle, employee, employer, stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, whatever it is, we still have that calling that God has chosen us and he promises, I will be with you and I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Amen.